That's awesome. That's great. Can you pour? Can I get an intro for him? Yes, sure. What do you want? What do you want me to say? You're the boss. I'm the boss. Yeah, give the theme song for who's the boss. Really? God, what's that? What's it? Show me that smile again. Is that it? That's it? Or is that groin pain? On your crying? Are you trying? Is it trying or crying? Don't waste another minute on your cry, trying. Or is it growing pain? I think that's growing pain. That's growing pain. Shit. I know Family Matters. That's the one I know very well. Really? Run of course. Run I can't. I can't <laughs> sing. Let him go. I like that. No, I want to hear what you think it is. <laughs> uh, well, Family Matters. Uh, the lyrics are: It's a it's a uh, rare rare condition in this day and age to read any good news on a newspaper page. Love and tradition of the grand design some people say it's even harder to find but there must be some magic clues behind these gentle walls but all I see is the power of dreams real love bursting out of every scene as days go by etc etc there you go and you are uh, Carl Winslow What is it? Is it the deeper love of the family? I think that's the chorus. Yeah. You know, I live less than a mile away from the house they use for the intro to, uh, to Family Matters. Just, just saying. I'm surprised you don't do a tour whenever. That would be the one thing it would say on the back of my baseball card. That's the one interesting thing about me. We still don't know who he is. No, we don't. Or what he draws. But you do do, you do draw and you do write. Yeah. And you are. Yeah. Hi, my name is Ryan Brown, uh, and I write and draw God Hates Astronauts, and I, uh, draw a book called Curse Words, uh, and you are watching 11 o'clock comics. <laughs> Nice. Better be checking it before you're wrecking. Oh, wow, Jason's strong. Jason's got the big testicles. Yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> they're still full. Oh, they are. They're, they're robust. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what you doing for Thanksgiving, y'all? The usual. Going to mother-in-law's house. Oh, yeah. About 30 people. I don't mind that. I don't care. No, it's a day off, right? I'm, I'm talking. It's a day <laughs> off, right? It's a, yeah, it breaks the monotony of sitting around masturbating. <laughs> Another day. It might. Um, it's probably gonna be quiet. It might just be uh, Renee and I. I don't know. Solo dolo? Yeah, no. Well, we're not. She had his doctor's appointment tomorrow, so we're not going down south, and uh, we would have been there already. And um, we, uh, I don't know if we feel like taking the drive to Westchester to go to go see anybody. We'll see. It, it, if we get something, if we hear from anybody saying, hey, you know, a few people, you know, like my brother-in-law or something, then maybe. But uh, other than that, we're probably just going to take it nice and easy. Relax. Respect. All right. By you.
Well, it's, I, I guess I'm sensitive to these things this year because my first year, of, I, I think, ever not, not having Thanksgiving with my dad. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. 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 Well, they're down in FLA. So, um, yeah, so we're going to uh, Beth's best friend's house, and uh, they have a big to-do every year. So we're jumping into that. So we're like kind of like with the Vince thing, I guess. It's going to be like 25 or so adults and then various and sundry kids. So, I mean, it'll be fun, but it's going to be very strange for me because pretty much every year of my life has been going to my dad's for Thanksgiving. So. Now, have you guys talked about Christmas? Are they going to fly up? Are you guys no. going down? No, we're going down in January. Oh, okay. So we're not going to see him until January. Huh. It sounds like yeah. a plan. Well, I'll be texting you on Thursday. We'll, we'll, we'll chat. Oh, we'll make it happen. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, hey. Wow. Every- <laughs> That's incredible. It's an awesome guy. Like it's incredible. Like you don't give a fuck about personal lives. I do. You do not. I don't. Dude, nothing gets you to change the subject quicker than us asking you about something going on in your personal life. Hey everybody, eleven o'clock comics, episode four hundred and forty-eight. Y'all, y'all, yo. And I am Vince B. Oh shit, you are Vince B. You're little, not as. Burdened tonight, Vince B. I am David A. Price. I will be burdened on the back end, though. Yes, you will, because I like your back end. But yeah, right. yeah. At least right now, you're not looking at like levels and shit. So no. let's see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Right. That is true, and of course, everybody knows me because I am Professor Garbanzo. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> you're not Professor Garbanzo. You're Jason Wood. What's that? You don't have to be evil. To get your books for cheap, where do you have to go? Tell them. Discount comic book service. That's right. DCBService.com. DCBService.com, where you and all your friends and everybody you know and even your pets can get the absolute lowest prices on comics and collectibles. Prices so low that you can't even list them in the DC Comics. I love that ad. The spotlighted specials are up, and they are from DC. The Commandy Challenge, number one of 12. Check out this list of contributors. Dan Abnett, Dale Eaglesham, DiDio, Keith Giffen, Tomasi, Neil Adams, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor, James Tinian IV, Carlos DeAnda, Bill Willingham, Yvonne Reese, Steve Orlando, Philip Tan, Marguerite Bennett, Dan Jurgens, Keith Giffen, Steve Rue, Tom King, Kevin Eastman, Greg Pock, Joe Prado, Rob Williams, Walter Simonson, Gail Simone, Ryan Sook, Marv Wolfman, and last but Hell not least, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Good guy. Yes, cover. Sookie, sookie now. Oh my goodness. Cover price on this beast is four ninety nine. But you're smart, so you're only going to pay two dollars and forty nine cents at DCBService.com. That's fifty percent off the cover price. From Dark Horse, it's the Bean World Hardcover Volume Four, Hoka Hoka Burble Burble by Larry Martyr. Sixteen ninety nine cover price. Your price, $10.19. And last but not least, you heard him on the intro to this episode, Mr. Ryan Brownie, Charles Sewell, and Jordan Boyd are cooking up some curse words at Image. Mm-hmm. Cover price, $3.99. You can have it for a buck ninety-nine because you're smart. DCBService.com. Go and save. Please do it. He's begging do you. It, do it, do it, do it. I don't have to beg. I told him what was going down. Ain't too proud to beg, y'all. 
Special deal at DCBService.com. If you don't order Commandy Challenge number one, your order will be kicked out for the month. So you're not going to get anything. Is that right? Ah, yeah. Me and Christina, she's tight. We're doing it. I don't know. Does it is is it going to come with a slipcase collection box at the end? No, these aren't hardcovers. These are no. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're, they're using a, a heavier stock for the cover, but these aren't the supreme majestic end all formats like DK three. Come on. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. That's majestic. That's what that is. Majestic. Yeah, I, it's it's majestic. like the it's like the suitcase in or the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Every time I open my box and there's a DK three issue in there, the light just streams from the box. Oh, oh. So, so the, the heavens are descending. DK three is in there. Yeah, it is. I'm telling you, it's right. wake. Yeah. All right. Well, if you didn't notice already, all of us are back together again. Fingers crossed. We're trying a new system. Um, you, your audio levels may not be the best, but we will work out the bugs. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you, you gotta, I'm not, I'm not in control tonight. So no, I, I, I do, I, second best. I do have a control thing, but that's not this. You can only press buttons. You can't make the audio do what you want it to do. Right? No, that's, so I why know, it's not on you, stop with the flagellation. So if the, if the uh, sound quality is not up to our usual standards, it's because we're trying something new. We're using a different system. Well, and, it's, it's, and we'll it's work no out the kinks. For you, Vince? Yeah. It's the system that Jason and I use when he and I were Yes, in the many instances where you skip, we, this is how we do it. Oh, my God. So it's Punch Vince in the Nuts Week. I see how it works. Um, dude, the, the dig there is that you never skip. I do, though. I have once or twice. As we've established, Dap never skips. No, you Dap skip never like three skip. times ever, and I skip like once a month. Dap only <laughs> skips. Dap only skips when he has no recourse, like last week. No, that doesn't count. There is an episode that we recorded. It may not be pleasurably listenable to some, but it is out there in the internets. We did yeah. record. Yeah, who that? And it's and 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 I was. I, I by the time we got home, and I know you know. Because of all your editing you do, you would have gotten it <laughs> under the wire by the time we got home Saturday night. But I, but I'm glad we didn't because, as we're kind of getting into right now, had you and I sat down to record last week, it still would have been you going solo style because your setup. We found out earlier tonight something's still off. Something, so yeah, very off. So we need to figure that out. In the meantime, in the interim, I am using Audio Hijack Pro with Skype so I can record the conversation and then pass it on to you, and you'll do your magic and make it lovely for everybody to listen to. Yep. Keenan says we got to fix it. Got to fix it. Yep. Got to coordinate. But first, you got to tell me what you're drinking, bro. You talking to him or me? I said, you 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 said, bro. bro. Okay, yeah, I get it. Dickhead. I am drinking the Diet Right Pure Zero. Yep. It's it's pretty boring. Zero calories in me now. Zero caffeine and zero sodium. So there's actually nothing in this worth drinking. But it's all I got. Well, I'm 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 dying to hear about Jason's Mandarin Orange. So go ahead, Ro. You going to do me like that? Oh, it hurts hey, when what, it's on the other got? foot. What you got? I can't believe you want to try and do me like that. What you got, though? Dude, this um, is the Thanksgiving episode, my favorite holiday owed a year. Oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
that's oh, what you don't like? No, 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 I like Thanksgiving no, because we, we, I don't we, love it. You, you and I love the Christmas music, so I think Vince's and the whole spirit of giving and 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 the feeling everybody <laughs> kind of has around it. I think Vince was expecting Christmas to be yeah, your favorite holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love the Christmas. What's your but most hated I, holiday? Most hated holiday? Yeah, I have Arbor one. Day. I have one. Um, I mean, I don't know that I like hate any given holiday. I think some are dumb. Okay. But I think like President's Day is dumb. All right. Like, like I think like um. I'm yeah, talk- I don't know. I mean. I, I'm talking a, holiday. I just, I a just real like holiday where you have to gather and, and break bread with people. Like President's Day. You know, nobody, and I don't – hate's the wrong word because I just – I mean holidays are – but I, I'm not a big Easter fan. Yeah. yeah. I, that because doesn't like, surprise me. Vince. First of all, as you know – I mean, well, as, as you got – but most, as many of our listeners, I'm, I'm not religious at all. Um, but my wife is and my kids are being raised Catholic. So like it's one of the two times a year I have to go to church. Fine, whatever, but it's a drag. And then – um, for some reason, just because the way, like, as we were talking offline, um, this is the first year probably since I was ever can remember that I didn't, I'm not going to be spending with my dad because he just moved to Florida for Thanksgiving. So I had this tradition, and we didn't really have, like, an Easter tradition. Like, like Christmas is always here because we were, you know, we have the kids, so, like, all the family always comes here for Christmas, and it's, like, very home-centric and a big to-do. And then Thanksgiving, we always had a tradition, which was going to my dad's. Um, but for Easter, we've never really had, like, a tradition. Like, we always... It's usually like just us as a family, which is cool, but like we never really, it's not like, I don't know, like it doesn't ever feel as right. as significant as the other big holidays to me. Yep. For those reasons and so much more. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't like it at all. Yeah, so. Cool. So what are you drinking then to celebrate this? Oh, week? shit. <laughs> oh, I'm drinking seltzer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> I am drinking uh, from Bright Cellars, our, our, our wine, uh, our online venture-backed wine uh, seller that we use every month that sends us a shipment. Um, we just got a fresh shipment, and the first bottle of the shipment that I opened up is uh, a red blend from California called Bootstrap. And, I've had uh, that. Have you? Yes. Had yes. I, I like, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Wow. That's like did a you first. not like it? No, I, I, uh, I did like it. I did like it. Yeah, so it's, it's just a red blend, and I don't have the – the bottle handy, so I don't know what what's what it's a blend of, but it's it's very good, very drinkable. Like right out of right out of the bottle, I didn't have to breathe. So yeah, it's it's all good. I like it. Okay. About, oh, by the way, Dad, I, I'll have you know because again, people didn't hear us because the episode got lost. But we did talk last week about the fact that I I drank the apothic that uh, the inferno. Yes, I mean sorry, the inferno that you gave us that was aged in the, uh, the, the conceit there for those that don't know is it's aged in, uh, in, in barrels, like whiskey barrels, bourbon barrels, whiskey barrels, bourbon, uh, right? uh, whiskey, whiskey. Okay. Um, and I told you yesterday while we were recording that it really wasn't to my liking, but I will have you know that my wife polished it off like a champ. Nice. Now we're talking. So girl, see when you say your she wife and, and polishing it off, <laughs> the mind wanders, <laughs> really? dude. <laughs> Like for real though, dude. I mean, I know we're. I mean, I know you're like the closest thing I have to a brother, the two of you. But I mean, really, we can't. Come on, dog, we can. If you if you allow it, see if you said that to my wife about my wife, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's cool because I love you. Yeah, let's let you say anything. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's exactly why. (laughs) 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 Okay. One is a a coveted treasure that I that I. For you, you're like peace, dude. Deuces. <laughs> Have at it. Just don't don't break it up. 
Yeah. Yeah. So she got to work. To work. <laughs> she got to go to work tomorrow. Oh, shit. Uh, <clears throat> what are you drinking, uh, D.A. Pizzle? This is, uh, this is under the category of don't judge a wine by its label. I have seen this all the time. There was a um, young woman offering samples at the mm-hmm. liquor store last weekend. I figured let me try it because I've that- always shied away from this because I just always thought it was going to be so sweet because it's called layer cake. And oh, yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about it, but one of my boys here that I, that lives in Smoke Rise uh, is, a, is a, a wine and liquor distributor. Right. And uh, Layer Cake, he moves lots of, vo- of volume to restaurants in the area. Layer Cake. I, I can see why. I can taste yeah. why. This, I mean, the, the, the picture on the label is, is a three-layer devil's food cake. I mean, it just you, you look at it, you think it's just going to be kind of on the sweet side. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a Cabernet Sauvignon mm-hmm. from California. Mm-hmm. Vintage 2013, and it is very, very enjoyable. There are the hints of of chocolate there, but it is it's. I am very happy and and surprised just how how easy this is. Like you just said, it, it's very drinkable. It, it's um, I it completely blew me away. So uh, I am quite happy with it. I will be buying some more. In the future, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it is nowhere near as, as sweet or, or rich or, um, syrupy as, as I may have thought it was based on, on the label. So yeah, I, I, I would recommend it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm right there with you. I enjoy it. Let's do the comments. Yeah, there's an Italian joint right down the road that go ahead. seems like we get, we get it there when we go because it's like one of the more reasonably priced bottles. Yeah. Oh, who's got thank yous? Who who has thank yous? Oh. Do I have thank yous? I've got a couple. I've got a couple. You go. Got a couple and a shout out. We probably do too, but you 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 get us off the hook here. Uh, it was a it was a pretty good Kickstarter day. I received two rewards from um did you get a knife? from Kickstarter. I did not get a knife. Uh, I got um from Jason Ford and David Pung. I got the first issue of Regret. Yes. Um, and I, for, for backing it, I received an awesome, super, this is a kick-ass, um, Spider-Man that was included Ooh, with it. Nice. I am, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I, I, um, it's solid. It, and, and the only thing is with, with regret, as I was flipping through it, the last names are on the cover. There's no credits. On the inside, you, you you read the note from from Jason on the back where he talks about you know the work he and David have done on this book and in um and on the pa- and in the past. But I'm like, I I I would have loved to have you know been able to look at the cover and and just and be on the cover and see it. So credits credits and that that that's all I'm asking for is is, is a little credit box somewhere. Damn, that be blowing I'm all just, up, Jason. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It is a uh, good idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if only last names are on the cover, right? Because I mean, I'm glad the, I'm glad the last names are there, but and and we all know Jason, but it took me I, I had to make sure that um I, I I wanted to know that it was it was David and not Dave or, or if I was thinking oh of my the name. So I'm just trying to be careful there. The other oh starter is a uh, is is actually has a nice quote on the back by our new BFF Jake Parker. Uh, this is the second book. 
propositions of Sithra by Mr. Jason Brubaker. Uh, it looks amazing. Looks as, uh, as fantastic as the first Damn, book. I didn't wonder if mine came today. It, um, yeah, it, but it's, it's, it's a, uh, it, it is a gorgeous book. Love the, uh, little book plate in the front. It is, uh, number 243 of 1000. Yes. And it is sweet. And, and the other thing that came that I was super giddy about and I didn't and, and restrained myself did not post it on Facebook yet because I, I don't know if Vince wants to include it in, in tonight's show notes, but from, uh, this is Monster, number 31, cover date November 2016. Mm-hmm. And the reason, and, and I am not a big, I, there's only one reason. Turns out now that there's more, now that I've been flipping through the magazine, but there was one reason why I bought this issue, and that is because the contents page is done by none other than Mr. Vince B. Mm-hmm. Yay. And it is, it is a gorgeous image. I loved it when you first showed it to us on Slack and just seeing it on the paper. It's, um. Printed a little it, darker, which did it a benefit. Yeah. It's a myth. It looks a little I, darker I, than I, I did it. Proud of you. So yeah, so, so Tim's that's my boo. Getting your shit published, son. 31. And there is something really cool in this issue where it's, um, there is a, uh, well, Jason will love it because there's an interview with, uh, Jason Shiga. My dude. Yeah. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, there, there's some things in here for everybody. There's, um, Demon tell, tell Jason who interviewed Jason Shiga. Oh, yes, because I did see that first and I was like, oh crap. Let me just get to the page. It is page 23. Sorry for this, folks. Um, it's good radio. Yes. Stephen Arbissette. Or Bissett. Ah, Stephen nice. Arbissette, yes. yeah. Um, and That's he, dope. uh, he does, and Bissett does a few, um, he does some, some illustrations throughout the magazine as well. According to Vince, uh, he is a huge contributor to, uh, to the magazine. But what I love is a, uh, there is a Stranger Things, uh, study and viewing guide, as well as a, um, a breakdown of the, uh, of the episodes. So, um, that's pretty neat. I, I, so that's definitely, so this isn't something that, oh, okay, well, my, my boy did some art in it and I own mm-hmm. it and I'm going to put it on the shelf. Now that, I mean, there's actually, cause there are some things in here related to other movies and, and other things that don't tickle my fancy. So I probably just skim them, but there are things in this, in this particular issue that I will be reading and consuming and, and, uh, will probably, as I'm flipping through it and looking at the ads and things, there are things in here that are going to catch my eye and probably open me up to new things. Oh, there's Basket Case too. Uh, yeah, this, um, oh, and, and that's the other thing. I love, I love just cheesy horror movies because I love that when they take, when they, freeze frame or, or they take still photos from the movies and they just look so ridiculous because the makeup or just, and it's, it's, whereas in the moment in the movie, everything looks, looks shiny and neat and, and oh, okay, that, that might be a little scary if I saw that in my room. But when you just look mm-hmm. at a black and white photo on a page, it, it, it's when you can kind of see how, uh, right. how cheesy things look. But yeah, so no, no definitely right. you can, um, I got it from Amazon, but definitely, uh, there, for the listeners who 
aren't familiar with this magazine, don't normally get this magazine, there is definitely a reason to get issue 31. Gots to do it. It's more like a book. It is definitely a book. What's I it like 200 it and 280 pages or something like that? It is 261, two, three, 60, about 64 pages. Yeah. He was having trouble laying that out because it was so big. But um, mm-hmm. if you if you watch the progression of the monster uh, exclamation point, he started off, you know, under 100, and then every issue gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is issue 31. So we're talking 264 pages. Not bad. Yeah. It'll take you a long time to read that. Double, two column pages. It's loaded with text. The, the Tim Paxton and, and group, they're a really, really nice bunch of guys and they know their stuff. So. And the bonus Gorgon gallery. Nice. Then I even have a picture of the old Marvel, Marvel stickers with, um, Medusa and they have a, Oh no, I'm sorry, it's John Bushima's um Medusa. To the right of the picture of the sticker is the Jack Kirby drawn supervillain Gorgon. So here's Medusa and here's Gorgon. Neither one have serpents in or near them, but um It's in the ballpark. I, I thought no, I just I mean as far as you know, to be a completist, that's I, I I thought it was neat to see those two characters thrown in this gallery with everybody else who kind of looks like the, the traditional Medusa with the serpents for hair. Yeah. Cool stuff. So there you go. Now let's talk about the comic Yay, books. Long overdue talk about the comic books. So much comics to talk about. Well, then get going. I mean, really, dude? Just going like, to just, just blow me up like that? I, you blow you up. I'm opening the door for you. Well, um, let's talk about uh, Reborn number two. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do um, that. So this is uh, Mark Miller and Poppy Capullo's creator-owned book. Um, we talked about the first issue, and if I'm recalling correctly, I liked it more than, than the two of you liked it. Yeah, I was lukewarm on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess coming into this, we probably had different expectations for issue two. Uh, I guess since I enjoyed it the most, issue number one the most, I probably was most inclined to enjoy this issue, but from our back channels, it sounds like um, you both were pleasantly surprised. And 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 just to confirm that, I, I thought number two was uh, excellent. I, I, I liked one. I, I liked two a lot more. Um, I think we, I think as David alluded, if this, this is probably a book where if we could have gotten like a 56 page first issue, it would have done, done it a, a, a real service because, right. Um, but uh but yeah, I, I thought that um, a lot of things about this issue felt felt better. Um, I, I felt like the art was stronger. Um, you know, not to say that Capullo's in, Capullo's not capable of of, of 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 poor art, but I thought it was a little like I felt like in the first issue the character design of which is supposed to be a very fantastical world was a little mundane. Sure, especially for a guy like Capullo who had spent so much time drawing grandiose things of theirs. Um, I thought we got a little bit more uh, of a fantastical kind of look this time out, at least in terms of like, you know, the fairy queen who's ginormous and the fairies who are tiny and some of the, the layouts of like the, the tree house, like the fairy world. Like I thought like there was a little bit more of a creative fantasy kind of element to it, you know, still not like mind blowing, like, like I don't probably unfair to compare them, but, I, but I think like this versus what Opania is doing in, 
in uh, Seven to Eternity, right? Like, I, I don't think, like, I think Opania's putting down some crazy, crazy, crazy and creative uh, world building. Um, but uh, I dig what the story's laying out. I mean, it, you know, the, the it's a story of Bonnie, who was uh, an elderly woman who, who passes away. She comes to in a in another world where she's surrounded by all of her loved ones, and um, including her father. Only now she's a twenty year old hot blonde blonde hottie, and apparently the whole world's been waiting for her to show up um, for a long time because she's perceived to be their savior. And what needs saving is, I guess, in this world, people that are deemed good in their time on Earth are put into uh, certain areas uh, that, uh, including, is it like, a, is it Adistria? Is that? Yeah, Adistria. Yeah, Adistria. Um, but then a big, big chunk of the of this of this new world is the Darklands, and that's where people that weren't so good go and live. And they outnumber the, the good people, as one might imagine. And uh, I guess they've been fighting wars, and, and the, the bad people have been encroaching on Adistria. And she has been... They're counting on her to save them, to to uh, you know vanquish the evil. But I guess she asks for a little sabbatical, even though she hasn't taken the job yet, because um, she's surrounded by all these people that she knew in her birth life, but um, she can't find her husband, yeah. and her father doesn't even. He's like, I didn't even know he passed away. So you know, I guess we're supposed to make the leap that he's probably in the darkland somewhere, right? And so she asks to take a month to go and find him. Yeah, stands and, to reason, right? Yeah, right. And also we come to find out that um, her mom's nowhere to be found. And, you know, they don't quite get at it directly, but you get the sense that her mom passed away, like, when she was really young, such that she didn't even remember to think about her mom when she got there. But her dad mentions that he's never found her mom and that, like, this place is ten times larger than Earth. So it's it's there's lots of places they've never explored um so it's a little bit of an adventure quest um you know it's 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 a little bit fantastical and and i don't know what you guys think but knowing miller i i suspect this is going to be kind of like a um one of those deals where like an i kill giant situation where like i i think i wouldn't be surprised if the last page of the series is this woman on her deathbed right like and this is kind of like a few it's all on her yeah you know That's that like she's like in hospice, and this is like her, like you know, morphine induced. I hope not. Last days. Yeah. I, I don't. You know, that's just a uh, that's a stab at it for my for my advantage because it's it is so kind of crazy how all this is working out. But right. uh, but I dig it. You know, I I don't know. It although it feels like it's um like an ongoing and in, in that it's pretty slow paced. I mean, we're two issues in now, and I don't. It's six issues, right? So is it only six? Pick it up. Yeah, I think it's six issues. Is that just the first arc, or is it? Because I, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah, I'm, I, not, I didn't I'm not sure about that. I think this is an ongoing, dude. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Why don't y'all talk about what you thought of it? I, I'll, I'll look it up and see if it's. Um. If it's, you know, I I totally agree with what you and David said. If if the first issue was oversized, if they pulled the first issue along to the point where they meet Estelle. The queen of the, of the fairies right. and that splash page where it's her in the chair and she's like, you know, get the hell out of here. If that was the, the cliffhanger of the first issue, if they included the whole karmic cycle where the people, the good ones go into a dystria and the bad go to, if that was in the first issue, I would have been hooked. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that they left it for the second, yeah, it gave me something to, to, to look forward to, I guess, but, what if I never got here? 
Right. I wouldn't have taken chances with the first issue, especially on a series like this. I would have made it exercised. Yes. Um, I love the melding of old and new in the, the architecture. You have mm-hmm. p- pagodas mixed with, you know, um, water powered mills mixed with skyscrapers. And the, they, they come to the, the city in a, in a, like a land speeder type hover car, which is awesome. Um, the, the juxtaposition of all these different eras is really nice. I like the father a lot. I do too, but I don't know how far I can trust him. But he's in Nadistria. He is. He is. And he's, he's happy that his daughter is there, but he's, I don't know if he is being completely forthcoming. You think he has an ulterior motive? Because he was like, come on, we gotta go do this right now. We gotta go do this right now. You gotta kill Golgotha. You gotta get these dark people away from us. We gotta go right now. And she's like, well, wait a minute. I, where's Harry? I don't know where Harry is. Or where, and, you and know, he's, he's keeping like, an eye on her. Cause he's like, well, I'm not gonna let my daughter go we'll look for right, her husband alone. Right. Um, cause especially when, you know, listen, she's like, if you, you, you've been looking for mom and, you know, you should know that if you've been looking for mom and you haven't found her and I just got here and I want to see Harry, you, you should know where I'm coming from. And they do that mm-hmm. and, and they do that close up on his eye. And there's just, but yeah, there's just, he's not, he, he's not laying everything out. And, and I don't, so, so that's, that's my only hesitation where, you know, what do you, and, and he may be keeping things from her for her own good. And, and you know, listen, he's been here for a long time because he, he said, what, I when I got here, I was three. So he, he's he's pretty much grown up here. So and, and obviously he's still her father. So if he wants to protect her, then so be it. But I'm just not sure yeah. how on the up and up he is. Interesting. I, I think there's a, a section of this world that we've yet to see. And I'm not talking about. I mean, conceptually, if there's a good, a complete good in Adistria and there's a complete bad in the Darklands, yeah. there's got to be a gray area. Well, right. And like he said, it, the world, as he can tell, is up to 10 times larger than Earth. And they, right. there are areas they've never explored, right? So right. You're, you're absolutely right there. And, yeah. And I think that, that that's what I'm guessing is that, that maybe her husband is, is more in the purgatory area, right? Than a, right. Like chronic, chronic jaywalkers, people who cheat on yeah. their income taxes. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. You yeah. go in this area. But that's the thing about Bonnie. Like she was a school teacher, very forthright person. She nurtured all these kids. Of course she would go to the, the complete good. But yeah. maybe the father didn't go to the complete good. Maybe he went to that purgatory area and somehow paid his his dues and got out into the Adistria part. I don't know, but it's neat. The the tree- I love the cat. Yes. <laughs> the cat's awesome. General Frost is a trip because he wants to take this he he wants Bonnie badly and and he is he, he tells Golgotha I will. I have no problem going after this woman. I, I it's, it's almost like I, I need to go after her. She's caused me a lot of pain. And Golgotha's like, oh, did she have you destroyed? He's like, no, she neutered me. So I, yeah, she cut off my testicles. <laughs> so why does Bonnie's cat get the power of speech, but Roy Boy can't talk? It's that whole Pluto and Goofy thing. I, I was guess. just going to say, it's Pluto and Goofy, dude. Don't question it. <laughs> That's, yeah, but I mean, if there's a karmic Unless, cycle, the dogs should get but if, the major. Well, and to be fair, though, cats are far more intelligent than dogs. It remains to be seen. 
No, it, it does not. No, it doesn't. But it, it's the I uh, have both, but dude, I mean, right? Uh, and maybe maybe Frost was granted the the power of you know speech, or yeah. the ability to speak, and you know. So I don't. Again, this is something that it it just could have been. Um, it, There's not a whole lot of animals in Adistria. Well, that we see. No, and there's not walking, talking animals in addition. Right, I mean, they're, they're still pets because pets are pets are good, and, and you know, you remember your pets. Whereas, if if you're going to have, um, if if an I don't know, it, it's like I would think that if if an animal is happy to see it's human, and it, it, it's going to kind of remain a pet. But if if if, if an animal has just you know evil intentions then then i would think you'd kind of want it to be more anthropomorphic so you can get that whole yeah. um sense about it. it it's it's um yeah i'm i'm not it it's you you saying that you asking that question is one of those things where you know if i'm going to question the logic of x23 and things like of all the things going on in this world it's like why is the cat talking and the dog doesn't but it's 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 a valid question but i it, it almost i didn't ignore it or I, I kind of almost overlooked it just because it made sense for me. Here's Roy Boy. It, it's it's her dog when she was a little girl, and and she stayed with it when he died. And here's here's a cat who is just being vindictive. It, it just it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree with Jason. I think Capullo's art is much more. Um, Finished in this issue. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I think the treetop village is astounding. I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I love the designs of the um, the the Darkland creatures. Golgotha looks like he looks a little bit like Tim Curry in Legend. Yeah, I was yeah, right. a little bit, a right, little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. It's a it's a great inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe Mr. Capullo should cut Walt Simonson a couple checks for the the samurais. <laughs> those are uh, those are straight Simonson. Am I right? You're not wrong. Yes. Come on, but that's okay. Again, wrong. great great inspiration. Uh, knows no boundaries. Mm-hmm. But no, I thought this issue was really really good. I think the coloring's great. Um, I'm 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 very interested to see where it was going at this point. Whereas with the first one, yeah, I didn't really care at the end of the first issue where it was going. Mm-hmm. But now, that, now now he's got me. The um, and as it's. I was happy to see them paired up again since those early Batman issues and then all of a sudden Danny Miki shows up. But I think, I think Lapion is one of the best thinkers that, that Poppy could ever ask for. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's the same art team that was on the first issue, but I don't, I, maybe they were both getting comfortable. I mean, obviously if, if Miller's thinking it up, then Capullo's going to, sketch out character designs and things like that. So he's been probably f- getting familiar with the characters longer than Jonathan has been. But, uh, yeah, the second issue, definitely, um, there, everything is dealing together art wise. It, it, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful issue. First issue looked good, but the, the second issue is, uh, it, it's, it, if it stays like this and keeps getting better, then I'm going to, after this issue, yeah, they they they've got some credit with me. I'm going to uh, I'm going to keep going with it for now, but uh, only to see if any of the theories we may have 
uh, kind of pan out. But no, I, I think it's, uh, if, if anything we said last time, even though Jason was all for it, paused and, or, or caused you to go on the fence with this, then, uh, we're telling you the second issue is definitely where you're going to get more of a, a feel for this place. Because if this is what, if the book is called Reborn, if this is where you're supposed to be, then yes, again, it's a bit of a bummer that the first issue only had a couple, a page or two to get you to know this new universe. Whereas now you're in it and you're getting an understanding of what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. You know, Capullo may have had to shake out the Gotham. Sure. Because he was on that book for what? Five, six years. And, and it's a, it's a yeah, different, four or five years, yeah. right. It's a very, very different starting point than this. This is bright. Um, there's not a whole hell of a lot of shadows until we get to the, the Darklands. And it's just, it's just a different way of thinking. And he may have needed an issue to, to shake out all the Gotham cobwebs. I think you're right. Yeah. I can see that. So cool. Good on them. Absolutely. Yeah. What else do we have? Did you, uh, I'm guessing since I've heard y'all talk about it, have either of you read Moonshine yet? Moonshine. No, no, that's the new, uh, that's the Azarello. new Azarello and Risso. Yeah, yeah no, I have not bullets. Yeah. I was going to flip through the preview, but no, I didn't. Alright. Um, well, the, the first, the first two issues are out, and, uh, needless to say, massive, massive Azarello Risso fan here. Um, uh, I won't, I won't go deep diving because I, I won't give you all a chance to read it, but I will say it's off to a real strong start. Um, the premise is pretty cool. It's basically, uh, uh, it's the prohibition era and, um, there are guys, uh, the New York mobster wants, uh, somehow or another, uh, this, this guy's come across, um, some moonshine in West Virginia that he loves. And everyone says like the taste is safe. The taste great. It's like the best whiskey that they've ever had. So he sends one of his dudes, um, to this town to find the, uh, the creator of the moonshine and, uh, make a deal with him to have the guy create his moonshine and sell it in New York city for the mobster. Um, and this guy, you know, we get, we get a sense that he's got a very sordid backstory, this guy, and he's kind of like the closer, like a Winston wolf, but he's also a, uh, looks like a drunk and, you know, he's just, he's got issues, but he gets the job done. And, uh, as one might expect, uh, just because he's an influential mob, mob dude in New York doesn't much matter to, you know, hillbilly, uh, Gangsters like uh, these guys. They're in a moonshine, and so his his quest to get a deal done for his boss is not going well. And uh, and, and you know this is it's like if you took the the same seedy, sordid, criminalized underbelly that made hundred bullets so great and just transitioned it into the into the you know the boonies. Um, but what's interesting is that at the same time that we're getting to know all these characters and all these dynamics, and and there's a there's there's the kids of the moonshine guy that are wanting to make their own deals, and there's the local like there's a, there's like some some local people that we don't know yet if they're in cahoots or not, but they seemingly are sympathetic to this this mobster guy who gets into some trouble. Um, but then like in the midst of it is is a fucking werewolf. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, and so like there's this supernatural aspect to it too. And I'm guessing that if if there's a werewolf, then there must be other supernatural things going on, right? I mean, I, I have to imagine it's not just solely one werewolf, but uh, but yeah, it's great, and you know, this is perfect, perfect 
environment for Risso to do his due. Um, I think, you know, I'd love him as a cartoonist. And I think that, uh, you know, he gets to draw the beautiful women. He gets to draw the, the, the blood and the, and the nastiness. He gets to draw, you know, some creatures. It's just, it's, he's definitely in his element here. And, uh, so it's off to, it's off to a great start. And, uh, I, for one, have, have been eagerly anticipating their next project together. So I hope this is a highly successful and fruitful venture. Well, look at that. Frank Miller did a variant cover for the first issue. He did. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Go Frank. Now I'm looking yeah. at I'm looking at some of Rizzo's art. It looks really nice. Oh, it is nice. It's, Rizzo, it's typical Rizzo. Yeah, it's 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 very uh, cloaked in shadow as it should be, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I was I was drifting until you said werewolf. I'm like, wait a minute. Dude, you should never drift from speaking. No, you know what I mean. Uh, Rizzo's horror work is really good. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Cool. All the way back to Vampire Boy. Yeah. And, and even before that, too. No, this looks, Mm -hmm. this looks like something. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling me about it. I mean, it was in previews, but that's all good. Yeah, I usually wait now on the image series until the first trade, so I get it for five bucks, and then I'll, I'll know if I like it or not. And it won't, well, it won't cost I mean, me all, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that we, we get to read image stuff for free because we're, yeah, I mean, we're allowed to. I, I, you know, I, I really enjoy holding them in my hand. That, that's no, I'm with you. Point. I order a lot of the collected editions, but I'm saying yeah. we, we get legal access to sure. digital books the day, you know, actually the, before they come out. So, right. by the way, shout out to Image for that. That's very nice. <laughs> yes. By the way, thank you. Yes. Well, I say that because, you know, I don't know how broad that deal is and and uh sometimes like i didn't want people to misconstrue that like we're downloading them illegally. no we're blessed we are we are fortunate image is one of several publishers uh valiant as well <laughs> that provide us uh their works for for the free yeah it's funny you should mention valiant oh there <laughs> we go nice segue <laughs> i read i read a bunch of valiant but um in in uh just so i don't spoil anything for my 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 brother david i'm not going to talk about bloodshot until next week. Yeah. But it's probably smart. Oh, it's amazing. But I will talk about Wrath of Eternal Warrior, issues 11 and 12. You do you, dog. This arc is called Deal with the Devil. It is written mm-hmm. by Robert Venditti. Art by Robert Gill and color art by Mike Spicer. I don't know if you remember, but I told you all about the labyrinth how um, Galad had died and upon reviving found himself in a labyrinth and he had to try to escape this labyrinth and over and over and over and over and over again he would get killed within the labyrinth wake up in the labyrinth again it was nasty and it was taxing and it was a terrible ordeal but Galad's time uh, in the Dying One's labyrinth is over Um, and now Having seen the effects of his lifestyle on his son, Kalam, see when Galad dies, he goes to that special place. And in that special place is his wife and all his children who have passed before him. And he spends a little time there and she's always like, you're going to leave, right? And he's like, yeah, that's what I do. I'm Earth's protector. I got to go. And he goes and, and, and fights through the, uh, the, the Deadlands and comes back and it's, it, it always works that way. But now he, he, he wants to go back to that 
his just rewards, that, that, that mystical area where he resides when he's, quote, dead. He wants to go back and mend uh, ties with his son, Kalam. So how does he do this? How does, how does he go back to his son if his son is deceased and he's on the other side? And here Galad is, tromping around the Valiant Universe, all alive and well. Well, he goes to Eric, Eric of Dacia, and says, Brother, you got to do me a solid. You got to kill me. And Exo's like, what? No, I can't do this. You're, 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 we have had words at, at various times, but <laughs> you're my, you're my compatriot. You're my, you know, you're my brother. I can't do this. And, and, uh, Gilad presses the issue and he's like, you got to kill me. Do me this favor. And Exo follows through. He gives him a hug and he ignites the, the blade and boom, he just, he just guts him. And, and Gilad dies. And, and, uh, unfortunately, upon Galad's arrival to that, that special place, his son is nowhere to be found. Where the hell is he? The, you know, oh. uh, he followed Galad beyond that woodland barrier that encircles the, the, the happy place. And he, he goes into the hellscape to find his father. And mm. what, what happens? He falls right into Lord Humongous's hands. Um, Galad learns this. Remember Slather, David, from the first couple issues? The, the demon, yeah. demon Slather. Well, Slather's taunting Galad. He's like, ah, you're a prick. You're dead. You're done. <laughs> you're, you're finished. Cause you know what? We have your son. And they, yeah. they drag him to Humongous. And Humongous puts on a good show. He's like, oh, my eternal enemy. I'm going to gut you and turn you into manure. And he's, he's only putting it on for show because yes, Humongous did have Galad's son. But he lost him. He's he's mm. no no longer in Humongous's hands. Where is he? Well, um, a creature known as the Pale Herder. This this guy. He's like king of the salt dunes. He lives in this remote area, and he's trying to get the jump on Humongous for an eternity. He's, he's trying to, to to take more of the real estate in in the the hellscape, and he's just a thorn in Humongous's side. He's like, all right. You tell my people that I lost your kid. I'm not going to be leader anymore. I'm not going to be the big bad because what kind of a big bad loses the son of his most hated enemy? Like I will be finished yeah. if they learn this. So do me a solid. You go into the salt dunes, confront um, the the pale pale herder, get your son, destroy everything there, and we'll call it even. Mm. I won't buy, I won't bother anymore. You won't bother me. Free passage back to, to life every time. We'll be cool. Just do this. And that's where the second issue ends. This is a great storyline. This is, this is a universal story, right? And, and Gilad's like, alright, take my life in exchange for my son. Before he knew that Humongous didn't have him. He was going to sacrifice everything. Earth's protector, what? Uh-uh, my son's in trouble. I got to give it all up. Let my son go. You take my life. And and Humongous is like laughing at him. He's like, no, that's not how it's going to pan out. Nope. <laughs> but no, it's 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 a great little, little arc. This book has been fantastic, but unfortunately it doesn't seem to be getting the attention like Blood, um, mm-hmm. Bloodshot and, and, and Britannia. I don't know why. It's a great book. Um... The art by Robert Gill is much better than the art by Robert Gill we saw in Book of Book of Death. 
Okay. It's uh, much more polished. If you go to our Facebook page, you will see the images that I'm going to put up there. The humongous, the design for humongous is great, but the pale herder is disgusting. And he's awesome. He's all gray. He's got one arm that's like bigger than the other one. He carries this gigantic weapon and he's, he looks like he has pustules all over his face. He's gross, right? And, um, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I love stories like this because it, you're immediately put into instant recognition of what the protagonist is going through. If you have children right. or loved ones. And it's, it's just one of those ageless, Stories that, you know, everyone can, can touch base with. I, I love the, well, it does help that Galad is my favorite valiant character. I, mm-hmm. I love Bloodshot. Right now, Bloodshot's my world, but in the, the glory days, the original valiant, Galad was always my man. And I, that's yeah. just a carryover from that. But, right. um, they're, they're doing great stuff. Like I said, I will have more valiant next week. David, did you read Batania? I I flipped through it. I couldn't really it it doesn't it doesn't feel like a valiant book. Oh, it's awesome. You got to read it. No, seriously. I I read issues 1 and 2. It does not feel like a valiant book because of the art uh Juan Jose Rip. It feels like an avatar book. And and it's very bloody and it um pushes the sexuality farther than any valiant book has done to date so it, yes mm-hmm. it feels like an avatar book but the story's great uh yeah but we'll get there if you want to read it we'll talk about it or i'll just talk about it myself i don't care i need no prodding to talk about valiant damn you <laughs> i'm surprised you didn't do nothing but talk about valiant saturday night well no i wanted to share with you oh Misery loves you. Yeah, I love to torment you is what I love to do. Not you, but Jason. (laughs) I want to do an all-Valiant episode. Can we do that? No, the Valiant's nice for me because it's the only time on the show when it feels like I'm actually like a a listener of the podcast because I like what you guys are saying and I haven't read it, so it's interesting. Telling you, with that Ninjak movie coming up, Valiant's Mm -hmm. going to blow up. I hope. Yeah. I hope so. Like my pager? <laughs> I like your pager. That's great. What else yeah. do we have? Do you, we we uh had a nice talk about Batman number 11. We did. And it kind of got scuppered. Um Yeah, we did. We uh because we got to know more about uh well, your your question was whether or not Batman knew that Selina had killed 237 people. Uh, and it turns out he does know. but And still cozies up to her. Well, it's not so much cozies up to her. It's he's, you got to get it where you're hidden, I mean. Yeah, but he hand-selected her to be to be in his, his assault team. Like, right. I, She's a wild, she's a wild card. She's, she's a loose cannon. He cannot control her. If there's one thing, right. By this issue. I mean, we, we, we start off with a flashback for a couple of pages where, where Batman is chasing her. Uh, she doesn't want to go away. She doesn't want to be in prison because this is something they're going to put you to death over. Uh, and then we flash forward to the now where, um, where Batman and Catwoman 
and the ventriloquist are working their way through the the bowels of Santa Prisca and while that's happening uh bronze tiger uh doing his best Luke Skywalker and punch and Julie show up at the door of Bane's palace if you want to call it that stronghold Bunker, yeah, stronghold, stronghold. Uh, mm-hmm. and and uh basically is offering them up uh not so much as tribute but for um a, a reward because punch is the only man to ever escape bane's island so bronze tiger is offering the only man who's ever escaped and the reason why he escaped uh but while he is pleading his case catwoman's bullwhip comes down and shuts everything down to set all that up we see um this is all part of Batman's plan. The three of them are going to distract Bane while Ventriloquist and Catwoman are in position to do their thing. And then Batman can come down and take Bane out. And this is all going to be part of the nice, tidy little plan. Uh, so while Batman is going in position, Catwoman and uh, Wesker, they have to... Um, they have to get into their positions. And while that's happening, there is a beautiful two-page spread uh, that Mikhail Janine put together uh, of just nothing but – it's a series of tubes – nothing but pipes all over the place. It's basically the plumbing of this island. And while they are and, – and, and Vince kind of described it beautifully last time – while they are tr- – the, the panels are moving – or the panels take place between some of the pipes. So while, while Catwoman and Wesker are having a conversation as they are making their way from the top left corner of the double page spread to the bottom right corner of the double page spread, it all happens and it, it moves beautifully. I, um, Eisner smiling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, we almost so get to I'll, see some of Catwoman's plumbing in that double page spread too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some. Yeah, that definitely for plumbing. He says. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's um. So while Wesker's too. <laughs> if, you, if you ever want to see the ventriloqu- ventriloquist plumbing, but whatever. They, uh, they they thankfully we don't get to see the whole panel when he's looking up as as Catwoman is. Uh, Ascending her rope. The, uh, I think that's my favorite panel in the entire book. It must be, you, you did reference it quite a bit last I time. love that panel because it's a turning point for, for Wesker because he is without Scarface in this series and he's yeah. like a puppy. He's just looking for someone to tell, someone to love, to someone for, to, to direct him, to tell him what to do and he finds that in Selena but it doesn't she doesn't directly order him to do anything until they parse that that entire double page spread with the pipes and they get into the sewer and he's like, what should we do? I don't And Selena's talking to him. And at one point she says, Wesker, stay. And that's when he looks up at her with this. He, it looks like he, he almost falls in love with her there. 
That, I mean, you that one panel. You just see the smile. You just see a slight smile. His lips yeah. curl ever so slightly. Um, he's like, oh, oh, yes, stay. And yeah. So that's where he's going to be. Um, there was a moment with Bronze Tiger and Punch and Julie where it's implied, perhaps, that Bronze Tiger has partaken, partook the, uh, partook in, in some venom. Partaken. Yeah, he took the venom. Supposedly, uh, suppose he's telling them to shut up. They're they're kind of just riding him. It's it's as soon as you tell Punch and Julie to stifle about something, they're going to just ride that a little longer. So, uh, I got to find out from. I mean, if, if that's that's a pretty neat little thing for Mister Tom King, if if that's the case, to see where that's going. But I heard it makes your dick one, small. <laughs> probably does. Yeah. Uh, so while um. While Bronze Tiger is has an audience with Bane, uh, Batwoman, Batwoman, Batman is asking Catwoman if if uh, if she's in position, are you um, you know are you ready to do this? She says, "Oh yes, Bat, I'm right where you put me because mm-hmm. everything about this is deliberate. Nobody is saying anything that they don't mean or that's mm-hmm. not, and it's just so. I don't know if this was an act." She's pretty vicious with Punch and Julie. I mean, she rips out Julie's throat. Oh, she does. Yeah, absolutely. But, but why should she care about them? They're they're in Arkham Asylum. What she's got, she has no affection, attraction. There's there's no connection with them for her. So if she needs to take them out to 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 continue telling this story, then I don't know if that's. I think that's I would put it past. Her. Yeah, I think it's a little more vicious than Especially I want Catwoman to be. Especially she just killed two hundred and thirty seven people. Right. See, I, I'm I'm struggling with that. I, I'm, I'm that. sure Tom says it's in good hands, and you know, it, there's a there's a goal here. That's uh, okay, but I mean, it just it to me, it just feels it just feels wrong right now. So while Bronze Tiger, before he can uh, before he can tell Bane what he needs, um, I, I'm well. The story he's telling Bane is that uh, the League of Assassins has assigned Bronze Tiger to kill Batman. And um, since Bane is the only one who ever got close, which I don't know. It's not exactly uh, true. Yeah. Right. He says, uh, what I need to, and then the whip comes down from the ceiling and Catwoman lands on the ground and blows it all away and, and, and tells Bane this whole thing to set up Bronze Tiger's lying to you. Um, Batman is pulling all their strings and, and this, this whole lie, this distraction is meant to, um, to, to keep you occupied because I was supposed to, Abscond with Psycho Pirate. And, um, while they were keeping you busy and Batman was going to come keep you busy, I'm guessing, I guess Wesker was going to, um, manipulate Psycho Pirate to have him, to, to, to make him pliable enough to leave. But, uh, Catwoman is taking everybody out and she says, listen, you know, I'll give you, I just took these three people out. I will, um, I'll, I'll give you Batman. I'll, I'll tell you 
how you can finally break the bat. You just give me a plane and money. You help me disappear. And we're, we're, we're golden. We're tit for tat. And then that is where, of course, the issue ends where we hear the next issue is the bat breaks. And, um, Tom is, man, Tom's got me. He's got me hooked, but yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I gotta see where he's going. With yeah, this man. I think he's hitting his stride with this story. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. First one, I, I enjoyed it, but I did like Detective more initially. Yes. That that first arc of Detective is really solid. Yep. Th- this this storyline, it just feels like the the the. The story, the art, everything's coming together. It's working, mm-hmm. and you can hear it. And pun intended, it's purring now. Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, I yeah, I got caught up on Detective this week. Excellent. Nice. I gotta say that uh, that little moment when when her pops comes to see them in the Belfry, and then uh, and then he calls in the yep. calls in the uh, the crew. I was I was really genuinely surprised by that. I didn't see that coming. Like you're a dick. Yeah, but it's pretty dope, though, right? Yeah, well, that's a, that's been building for a long, long time. No, right? I know. Yeah, and I love like I love using Clayface, like uh, the way they use. Oh, them. that's great. the that's the hook that gets me using Clayface in there. And they use them like in such interesting ways, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Like they escape from that by having them turn into a giant ball and they roll down like a pinball through. It's like so Batmany, right? It's like I love that. It's great. That's it's um both Batman books are clicking now, so great. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, there's also All Star. Hey, I'm about so, to read the fourth issue. Oh, I won't say anything then. Oh, okay. I haven't read the fourth issue myself. So, oh, so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the very fact that we're talking about Batman incessantly, we've talked about Batman more this year than we have in the, I think, the totality of of the show. Mm-hmm. Probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you we Unless we Frank comes talking out about yeah we, we talked Frank about the Morrison the, stuff with the black hand yeah and, oh, and, and the Schneider Capullo I mean we loved the first few arcs and then he and then he he lost us with the with the one arc where like Commissioner Gordon became like the yeah. oh yeah they, right exactly that was exactly right it was that was pretty much our favorite DC book collectively until uh, until he he had to go wherever every creator goes and do the year the year zero thing the year one thing i mean he called it year zero but but oh, that was zero year, but yeah yeah I know what you mean. whatever it was yeah but but like what and then that lost us and then sure. he went into the whole gordon with the with the cybernetic suit thing and you know it lost me but 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 the, that first year and a half of or two years of uh of snyder capullo was was a we talked about that a lot yep so but it's been a few years all right jason what else do you want to tell us about um I forget because I know we talked about the show. Did we talk about Outcast the comic when I in the last episode? You didn't talk. You talked more about no. the show than you did the, the comic, right? Okay, okay. Um, well, since I guess people didn't hear that, I was bigging up. You know, Vince and David have been imploring me to watch uh, the Exorcist TV show, um, and I'm, I'm planning on doing that soon. Uh, but then I mentioned to them that. You know, when Outcast, the comic, was coming out, I think it was launched at a time when we probably collectively were a little worn out with the Kirkman thing. We weren't bit. really reading Walking Dead. None, none, not, not, um, I'm trying to think how to pluralize three. Uh, there, how do you, I'm, I'm totally blanking. Not one of us, not, none of us were reading, uh, reading, uh, Walking Dead at the time. And, 
so I feel like that the comic outcast kind of got ignored, at least by us. It didn't seem like it had a lot of buzz. And then because Kirkman is a goldmine now, it quickly got uh, optioned to become a show. And the first season was a 10-issue TV show on Cinemax, which I just watched. And I talked about that last week, and I told you guys you got to watch it. And I stand by that. It, it's 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 an impeccable show. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal show if you're a horror fan. I, I, I thought it was terrific. Um, and then subsequent to that, I had been buying Outcast from the first issue. And interestingly, uh, you know, that's one of the few image comics we don't get to read for free. Because um, Kirkman stuff, they don't, Kirkman doesn't let you, I guess he doesn't let the press read his stuff for free. Um, probably smart of him. Um, so, but I was buying the issues and just were stacking up. I'd read, I think the first two issues when it came out and then that was about a year and a half ago and I hadn't really kept up with it. But then after loving the show and shotgunning the show over a two week period, I went back and read the first, the, the issues, but it's effectively the first three trades of, uh, of, of outcast, the first 18 issues and a couple interesting things. One, First of all, let me, I'm because I keep forgetting and nobody heard last week. Um, the premise is there's a young man who grew up in a very abusive home. His mother was horribly abusive to him. And, uh, it's, I'm giving, I'm not giving away anything beyond, it's beyond like the, uh, intro to the first, uh, first issue. So I don't think I'm spoiling anything. She was possessed by a demon. Um, and at some point in his childhood, uh, the demon is gone from her. And, uh, but she's left in a vegetative state. And so he goes and becomes a, a ward of the state, becomes a foster child and so forth and so on. We're introduced to him in, as is, he's an adult and, um, he's, he's moved back to his hometown in West Virginia. Um, and he's somewhat of a pariah because they remember him as the weird kid who beat his mom up when he was a kid, uh, because he was tired of getting abused. As we, as we know from the backstory, that's not really what happened because there was a demon in her, but, you know, obviously most people wouldn't think, wouldn't know that or believe it. Um, but he's also estranged from his wife because as it turns out, he also beat his wife up badly. Um, and so, you know, he's in a bad spot and has no friends and is feeling very down. He's, he's estranged from his wife and his daughter. Um, and, and the show is really about this demonic possession. And for some reason, which I won't get into because I won't spoil it, it's a major hook of the book, um, people get possessed by demons far more frequently in his vicinity. There's something about him that attracts these demons. Uh, and it's got a, just a phenomenal supporting cast because there's a preacher who is the town preacher, beloved by all, and he is an exorcist. And he has vanquished in his mind dozens if not hundreds of people over the years uh, demons from people over the years but as we come to find out pretty quickly he actually hasn't he's basically been they pulled the wool over his eyes all these years because he'll do an exorcism and eventually the demon's smart enough that they cloak themselves from him and act like they're better until he goes away um so he's wrestling with the fact that he's a fraud and that's affecting his life um he's confronted with arguably it could be the devil it could be satan it could be just a very powerful demon not sure but the interesting thing about the way Kirkman's treating this is he's almost treating these demons as if they're like another species trying to escape from their homeland for some reason. Like it's not necessarily that they're evil in the classic sense of it. It's uh, it's more – he's playing with the idea of like our interpretation of faith. Like 
are these demons cast out from wherever they're cast out from? Are they really like wrong to be looking to survive on our plane because that's their only option? It's interesting. Um, but the the show is 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 amazing. It's it's and it's super gory and it's R rated and very violent and uh, definitely for adults only. Um, but the the comic, which again is eighteen, well, I've read eighteen issues. The the first three arcs of the comic essentially are the first season of the show, which brings up an interesting conundrum, right? Which is that um, the Walking Dead TV show is what uh, is the sixth season, sixth, seventh? What season? What season is this in right now? Seventh, I think. Right. Okay, so we're in the seventh season of the Walking Dead, and we're still not caught up to the comic, right? Um, now, of course, it's veered in some significant ways from the comic, but but largely it's still following the comic in that. You know the, the 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 big the big narratives the big beats are still from the comic. So in this case, the second season of of Outcast will almost entirely be independent of the comic because I mean I think the next season comes out in March, and I mean clearly we're not going to get you know maybe we'll get half of a season's worth of comics out by then, but but certainly not a full season. So that'll be interesting to see how how much that veers from the comic. Um, you know, I'll say that uh, Paul Azaceta on art is an interesting choice. It's a very grounded choice for people that aren't familiar with Azaceta. He's a very realistic-looking guy, um, thick, thick, thick line. Um, you know, kind of like uh, who's the dude that did Alias? What's that dude's name? Oh, um, Gatos. Gatos. Yeah. yeah, like a Gatos, a little bit like uh, not a, a little like I like his style a little more aesthetically than Gatos per se. It's not quite as photo refy, but it's still like. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I don't want to come across like I said. I don't like it, but it's kind of similar. It's like it's like much like with Adlard. Like I don't I don't think the art is like a standout per se. I think it serves the book well, but it's a book where since you're talking about demons and possession and supernatural, I feel like sometimes uh, as a set as stylings are a bit subdued for right. the work. Gotcha. Um, you know what I mean. Um, it doesn't take it away. Like I still enjoyed the comic quite a bit, but I'm wondering if I hadn't had the powerful visuals from the TV show filling in my mind as I'm reading the comic and seeing the scene for scene. I'm wondering if I would have enjoyed the comic as much. I wonder, and I don't want you to lose your turn of thought. The we've seen, I, I've seen, I've seen Paul's work on other things, and I mm-hmm. really like it. I wonder though, because of what we've seen. Who we've seen Elizabeth Brightweiser color in the past, especially mm-hmm. with with Phillips on on any of their work with with, with right. Criminal or Killer Beacon, I don't know if they mesh as well as Brightweiser does with other artists. Yeah, I mean that's consideration too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just like like I think I told you guys last week. Like one of the coolest things about the show is when the dude vanquishes the demons. They spew out of the person. It's this like giant, like almost blob-like black, jet black liquid, organic kind of like blobulous liquid creature, and it like flows out of the body, and then it kind of forms this giant blob-like congealed mass, usually like on the ceiling or wherever it is, and then it dissipates. And and as I said, it like he almost draws it to look like a like a smoke cloud. And yeah. it's fine, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel as like creepy or freaky or frightening. It's just like, it, it looks more like a ghost is leaving the body, which is fine. And it's, I guess ultimately it's not really, I mean, it is what's happening. So 
But I, I do think the visuals in the comic don't quite leave you with the sense of dread and foreboding that the uh, visuals from the show do. So I guess I would recommend the show over the comic if you were choosing one versus the other. But I am enjoying the comic. I just don't, I can't say for certain that I would have enjoyed the comic anywhere near as much had I not had the show's visuals though freshly in my mind. That makes sense. Both sound really interesting though. You gotta watch the show. I mean, you guys are, you gotta watch the show. It's, it's phenomenal. It's I need a new show because my Tuesdays are now open, thankfully. Yeah, it's, it's, the show's a home run and it's only 10 episodes, so, um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so outcast. Great. Right. You know, it's always good to, I mean, a guy like Kirkman, he's struggling. He's trying to make it. Yeah. That's true. You know, no? buy him a loaf of bread or something. Yeah. I got something else. What you got? I got some Godzilla. Oh, get out of here. Wacker. I no, 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 no. I, I know it's a stretch me talking about Godzilla, but, uh, the last Godzilla mini series was, Kind of a letdown. Didn't didn't like it. Um, but this uh, this is called Godzilla: Rage Across Time. It's published by IDW. It's kind of an anthology with a a, a framing sequence that that trails somewhat through each issue. Um, the writers and the creative teams are different for for each issue. Uh, f- issue number one was written by Jeremy Robinson. Illustrated by Matt Frank, ink assist by Mustafa Musa, and color art by Paul Hanley and Giancarlo Lopez. And I'm just going to mostly talk about that one. But on issues two, you have Chris Maury, Kelly Hills Schweitzer, Todd Galusha on art, Jay Photos did the color, Ryan Ferrer wrote issue three, Hugo Petrus did the art, Jay Photos again did the color, and Ulysses Farinas, good old Ulysses, and Eric Fritas did the uh, story for issue four, and the art was by Pablo Tunica. There's a really cool um, framing sequence on this thing. It's a time-hopping anthology, right? But that that skeleton around which the meat of the stories is placed involves an archaeologist slash cryptozoologist named Dr. Thompson and um, his... Uh, student slash assistant Nikki Kasumi, she's working on her doctorate, and they're doing field research, right, under the assumption that the historical record has been tweaked over time. These these events that we're very familiar with now didn't quite happen the way we've been told that they happen. You see where I'm going with this? So there was like a presence in the ancient past. That has not been accurately documented. And what do you think that presence is? <laughs> yeah, Godzilla. Um, so the first issue is set in feudal Japan. And uh, right around the time Kublai Khan sends the Mongol hordes um, into Japan to, to decimate the, the, the country, they've got 900 ships, 40,000 warriors. Um, but the switch here is that there's a dragon master aboard one of the ships. And he has an artifact, which, if you're familiar with the movies, is going to be a real special treat. Um, so he's enabled to control Gigan and Megalon. And so you got Kublai Khan's Mongol hordes streaming into Japan, preceded by two gigantic kaiju. 
and they just start blowing the hell out of everything. So while that's happening, the uh, there's there's a, a samurai um, of the Suda clan, and and he is, does not love this ninja at all. And they're button heads, and they're fighting over uh, the the the. Uh, the samurai claims that, you know, I fight for the people and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so th- there's warring clans and, and the master steps in and says, look, you guys cut the shit. We need something right now. Do you not see those giant monsters out there, you know, destroying our ships? Here's what you got to do. You got to go to this mountain. There's an artifact there. You can control this thing. That'll help us out. So, so go get the artifact. And, and they fight their way across the country and they're demons and, and, uh, you know, human face crab monsters. And, uh, they get to the artifact and they awaken Orochi, the eight headed dragon. Again, if you're familiar with the movies, Orochi was never in the Godzilla movies, but there is a movie called Orochi, the eight headed dragon. It was neat that they, they're cross pollinating. The, the kaiju films. So they get the artifact, they unleash Orochi. What happens? Godzilla comes and kills him. So what's going to happen to Japan? Where, where's this going? Well, you got to read it because obviously it's not the end, right? Um, the second issue features the uh, Olympian gods. You've got Mount Olympic, Olympus, Mount Olympics, Mount Olympus, and there's a Zeus versus Godzilla battle in issue two. The third issue is set in Eng- England during the reign of King Edward III and involves Mothra and Megagyrus. I don't think Godzilla appeared at all in issue three. And then issue four starts another story. It's a five-issue miniseries. Um, it's great. I-, I don't need a whole lot of prodding to read Godzilla, but I don't instantly absolve um storytelling just for the sake that the book features Godzilla. Like I said, the last miniseries was a huge letdown. This one is a a gigantic leap in the right direction. Matt uh, Frank's art on the first issue is amazing because the flashbacks are rendered in very, very... The line style for the the flashbacks, which is the the majority of the story, the present day is like only a page or two, not even. Um, But he renders the two time periods differently and the, the Japanese... Um, events look like a scroll, like an illuminated manuscript. The art's really neat, and the, and the tone, the colors are very soft and muted. It, it's great where you get like full color on the the present day. But there's something about this series I really don't understand. Now you're talking feudal Japan. We're talking 1200s, 1274. When Godzilla appears, he's got those purple back spines that he had in Godzilla Millennium. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Godzilla Millennium was, was released in, in, I think, 99, right? So for the Millennium. So if, and, and, and it was, there's an evolution of Godzilla, obviously, from the first movie to the, the, the last. So if the spines didn't show up until late in the franchise, why the hell would we be in feudal Japan and Godzilla have the purple back spines? It doesn't make sense. He should have the goopy you know, very organic-looking spines he had in the first couple movies. Or something totally different. Maybe an evolution of the spines, a, a pre-evolution of the spines. He shouldn't have mm-hmm. a, a back spines that he's sported in a movie that was released in 1999. I, I just don't get that part. And it's not just Matt Frank. It, it may have been an editorial directive because 
in the 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 Mount Olympus issue, he's got them purple back spines. Like I don't I don't get it. But I don't maybe I don't have to get it. <laughs> I don't I, I obviously I've never liked the the purple back spines. But whatever. Sounds ridiculous. It's silly. It doesn't make in in terms of continuity, it doesn't make any sense. But why would they be purple? The energy. That you know the the atomic energy that Godzilla his his atomic breath you, you've seen a Godzilla movie when he when he he vomits the, the death the back spines light up, but in Godzilla Millennium they're always that that muted purple color I I don't know and they're they're very very sharp they look like crystal mm-hmm. whereas they're not that organic you know um, amoeba like a like a um, uh, Pancake-like spines that you know, like a distorted pancake. They're, they're, they look like you can, if you went up to them and you squeeze them, they look like they would be very, very um, sponge-like. Whereas the Godzilla Millennium, they, they look like freaking crystals. They're weird looking. Yeah, no bueno. I don't like it either, but whatever. It looks good on the page. It's just my my mind wanders, and it's like, why does the why does Gojira have these weird in this period it doesn't make sense but anyway it's a great series you should uh, uh, get in on this it's by idw i think the trade will be out soon i haven't gotten the, to read the fifth issue but i do believe that the trade will be coming out soon all right yeah you heard big g lizard king huh nothing i'm just doing godzilla stuff in the background oh uh, yeah so what else do we got? We gonna bring this home or what? What? Dude, I'm asking you. Puppy. What? We, we got started late. Okay, but late. do you want to try to rehash anything we discussed about Thanos last week? <laughs> okay. Who did the, who did the heavy lifting on that? What? I think you did the heavy lifting on that. You did. Um, yeah, I mean, we had some disagreements. As far, oh, all right, well, so. Thanos is back in a series written by Jeff Lemire, art by Mike Diodato. And it is Mike Diodato that I, I, I like. It's not, um, it's not as referenced as, as earlier works. There were things he was doing during, uh, Secret Wars, even before that, where I just, I wasn't in love with it. And here, uh, the work is, um, great. It's, well, I was going to say easier for me to take, but it's, it, it's strong. It's good. And, and there seems to be a little bit of a mix. There's, uh, I see some, and obviously Diodato has been doing this longer than Dustin Weaver, but I see some Dustin Weaver and Thanos. I see some, uh, I even see some Frank Miller in some places, some, some Jay Lee or even some, some Jim Lee Deathblow. There's, there's, um, there's some uh, more more Jay Lee than anything else, but there's it's not just straight up referenced stuff. And the characters that are in this book, man, I am big. I mean, we we're all big fans of Jeff Lemire, and this year he has been killing it between you know whether it's Moon Knight and now Black Hammer, and of course the center. There's just so much Jeff Lemire goodness out there, and I think we can add this to the list. But it starts off there's a um, there's a character. Who, I'm, it, it's, it's one of my 
favorite pieces of original art is the character's first appearance from the first page of the free comic book day issue of uh, Infinity where we're introduced to Corvus Glaive. And that is who kicks off this first issue because Corvus Glaive being uh, the, the master of the Black Order, the ruler of the Black Quadrant, uh, he is sitting on a throne. He is pretty much in charge now because Thanos has decided to spend his time doing other things, dealing with things that would probably be beneath him if he thought it through. Uh, but now Thanos is back and he and Glaive kind of uh, have words amongst other things. Uh, but while all of that is happening, there is somebody who always makes me smile when I see him <laughs> because I remember the Marvel 2-in-1 annual where every Marvel superhero with many, many muscles showed up to take on the champion of the universe. Um and here he is in all his bright red hair glory. Uh, he is on a mission to fetch someone who uh, also <coughs> brings a smile to my face. He uh, he is tasked with taking Star Fox and and uh, going on their way to to kill Thanos. It's a great. He was getting his orgy on. He is really getting his orgy on. He even, Star Fox Eros even invites this strapping young fellow, the champion, into the bed to join in the festivities because the more the merrier. Um, champion really. I guess happy. Eros is by definition omnisexual. Yeah, I think if, yeah, he's, uh, if, if he likes what he sees, he wants some of that. So, um. As it should just be. Like, just like Yes. That. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. Um. So yeah, so so Thane is in this as well, and and uh, it's Thane's now, kind of bringing everybody do you think together. Diodato chose to draw death like death from Sandman. I don't think it looks like death from Sandman. What? I don't. <laughs> it's exactly like her. It doesn't look exactly like her. What? It's the spitting image of her. It is not even close. It's a pale brunette. Cutie in an all black outfit. It's what death looked like in Sandman. So I mean, it looks like Necra a little bit. Necra. It doesn't look anything like Necra. The, the, yes, it. Necra had a ponytail. But I'm she saying had, she was dark and pale, and this. So every dark and pale woman looks like death. The, the resemblance kind of is there. But this is this is much but more. I'm saying in Marvel, Marvel's ne- the Marvel universe, in, and especially with Thanos, death has always been drawn like a skeleton in a cloak. All right, take off the exclamation points. Right? Yes, you're right. Take off the exclamation points. That could be many characters in the Marvel universe. It, it, you know, color the skin green, cloak like Gamora. I'm just saying that the it's a the the body is much different than Death's. Look at the curves on her. Death was like a skinny kid. Yeah, Death was, yeah, she was, she, she was a, a very skinny goth child. Um, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. She is curvy. So, all right, all right, I'll retrench her mind. No, you don't have to retrench <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, I'm just you're saying. Right, you're right. No, all right, all right. 
I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's an interesting choice because it is Marvel. Like I think Marvel's generally been on model with Death as being a skeleton, like the like the, yeah. the like the River Sticks Grim Reaper. Like yeah, it's even with I mean again most of the times when Thanos who's he's in love with Death, it's it's her and her you know you know sort of cowl and you got you know a skeleton with, like with a cowl. But, right, but she is trying to cozy up to Thane, who is a kid. So if I wanted to get the attention of a kid, I would not show up in Bones. I would right. show up like this, mm-hmm. right? So the, 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 it's probably knowing Jeff, it, it's probably a story hook. Why mm-hmm. she looks yeah. like this? And then there was that cute line where uh, Thane says, "Oh, I, I, I didn't hear you arrive," and and she basically just says, "Well, no one ever does." And that was that was a very de- that was a very Neil Gaiman a yeah um, it was yeah right. that kind of line. But uh, no, I thought the. Um, the, the the last page is is definitely a cliffhanger. Um, I I know, but it's a very graphic designery looking book. The Adada was doing some interesting things with with panel borders and and breaking up the page. Uh, Vince seemed to have loved it a lot more than I do. So I hadn't read this when we talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I kept quiet. Uh, I have since read it. And yeah. I'm gonna have to break the tie decidedly in Vince's favor. What? Don't do it. Yep. Oh boy. Why you like the art? I, I have generally not been a huge Diodato fan, but I think right. this is the best I've seen of Diodato in a while. Which long is time. what I said last time. I do believe I got ridiculed for saying that. You say that all the time. You do say it all I, the time. Maybe I, I do. And when Jason and I have said, no, you're crazy, you've doubled down, and that's fine. But no, yes, this is and whether you could say, oh, that's a high bar. It, it is the best Diodato I've seen right. in, now, in if, a long time. Yes. If you put this book next to Secret Avengers, it would look like night and day, with night being Secret Avengers, because you couldn't see a damn thing in that book. Yeah. yeah. Well, credit to Frank Martin on that, right? I mean, well, he's the, he's the colorist in this. Yeah, but Diodato likes to hide in the shadows a lot of times. And there's not – I mean, yes, this is there. there's ample amount of black in this book. But mm-hmm. there are – the majority of the characters are very well delineated. He's not – Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's not using shadows to, to eclipse parts of the body that he just doesn't feel like drawing. Yeah. You know? so, I mean, four and out for our homie Corpus, but – Yeah. yeah. The uh, – and, and it, it's not the um, – it's not the art – that has kind of put me out with this issue. It's it's the panel borders. It's it's Diodato getting all all funky with 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 the way he has the pages laid out. That's that's my main. Now let me ask you. So you does it bother you because you feel like the choices are random, like just for the sake of it, or do you just generally not like when artists break away from a traditional border layout? No, I think it's because it's random and, and there's no, yeah, I mean, they are, it's not random. No, they're, it's not random in the sense that yes, where the way they're all squared off. Okay. But it's like the, the, the page where he and, and Corbus are fighting. It's like everything is, is slightly at an angle and it's, they're 
it's all dynamic and shit. And, you know, I don't know about that. We, we can't have that. And there's also the page where he and we're championing and Star Fox are in the hangar and it's just there. there. It's, it's just, it's. Well, I, I do have your back in what you're like that, that two pages where he's fighting Corvus. There are some strange choices. And I honestly, I didn't really notice in a, it didn't bother me the, the panel layouts until we're talking about it now. But, but like, for example, in that page where in the page adjacent to when Thanos offs Corvus on the bottom half of that page where you have the big, the big zoom in on Thanos's face, you've got about 70% of his face in a square panel. And then there's negative, just red background above him kind of cutting out a quarter of his face. And then there's another square panel at the top right above that, which shows the rest of his head and the word balloon. And that's a pretty like, Absurdly random thing to do. Like, why? Why put a panel border cutting up part of his face when it's all one scene? Like, that's purely done because he thought it would look cool. So I'm with David there. Like, I think that's a silly place to have a panel border. It doesn't make any sense. It breaks up the image. Um, but generally, though, looking back on the issue, I, I didn't have an issue with the panel layouts. I didn't. They didn't bother me. What is going on? My dogs. It does barking, yeah. Yes, somebody's somebody's come to the house. The only the only time I'm fine with word balloons in different panels pointing to the same head is because it's supposed to give you a sense of a a passage of time, so you're not mm-hmm. reading all all the balloons all together, which is fine. But this this does look to my eye, it looks awkward, and and there would have been other ways you could probably. I mean, there's some serious tangents. Uh, Brian Brown would be yes. losing his mind over. Oh, this. absolutely. Where are tangents? Oh, there's a lot of tangents all in the issue. And again, I lined with the issue. I don't, but and why? And 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 on the page before that, where he and Corvus are fighting, and there's the the top panel with the clang. Why cut off the panel at at Thanos's pelvis? Well, why can't that whole image be be one panel? Mm-hmm. There's nothing going. We don't. We, his knee isn't that dynamic. We don't need to see. Well, like the one where Thane is talking about uh, Thanos, and then he's like, he's practically a god in that panel's. Like at a oh the, the, yeah, angle. like why is it? The, he's working with the why? grid. This this whole issue is laid out on the grid. It, there's a, there's really, the grid. There's a mode. There's a, a method to his madness. Yes, and all of these pa- all of these pages are balanced. The 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 design is is solid. It just doesn't look like every comic. This is like I said before. This is in Steranko land. He's he's trying different things. He's breaking up panels at at odd spots, but he's and, he's justifying. Yeah, I'm saying so to be clear. I mean, I really enjoyed the issue, and I like I just said, I think Diodato hasn't looked this good in a long time. Right. Yes. But as we're talking about it and dissecting it from an academic standpoint, I think my my visceral enjoyment of the issue, the panels didn't bother me in iota. Right. But as David's bringing it up, like as I'm looking through it now, page by page, I would say there's a credible argument to be made. That while Diodato's trying something new, I don't know that he's he's all that successful in it. That I don't know that really improves the storytelling in any meaningful way. Um, the, the 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 what I see within the panels, I love. I think, I, like I said, it's it's great. I hope this is his new style and he sticks to it. But the decision with which he chooses each page to divide the the panels up is in, is a little odd. If, 
looking at it a- academically and not in the moment. Well, okay, from a design from a design standpoint, it is what it is, right? But also yeah. from a production standpoint, he's reducing the entire creative team's creating time by what twenty percent per page, maybe. Maybe a little more than 20%. The negative spaces are areas sure. in which nobody has to do any production work. But, so they fulfill a design task and they also right. expedite the production of the issue. So, so he's, he's doing something novel with the design that also saves time in the long run. You don't have to really go nuts in those negative spaces because they're either flat colors or they're silhouettes, right? But since when do we reward that? No, we don't, but I'm just saying it, it's, if, if you wanted to shave a little bit of time off the production, that would be a great way to do it. Right, right. But I, I admire. Yeah, I don't want to belabor the point because again, no, I, no, I, I know. In, in the in the moment, I, I I didn't notice a, and and I really enjoyed this issue, so I, I, right. I don't. But I admire it from a from a design standpoint. I any mm-hmm. anything that looks unlike every other Marvel book on the stand is going to yeah. get going to get my attention. Right. As it should. Yeah. I mean, we all have our the avenues we approach these things. Yeah, we all have our peccadillos. Yeah, I I reward uh, taking a chance over lack of ability. I'm not saying he doesn't have ability, but if somebody reaches and they don't reach the goal, I got to give them points for for trying mm-hmm. to make the reach anyway. I feel like Thanos is one of those characters that I've always read him, and and so I like I I feel connected to him. But then I wonder when I'm reading this, it's like, but. Is he one of those characters like Carnage where like 87% of the reading populace really gives two shits about him and is like, why wow. is there a Thanos comic? Yeah, I don't know about that. I, that <laughs> oh, man, that's I a good – no, I, that's oh, a, I like that question a lot because, you know, if you haven't grown up with Thanos, and I think we all have, yeah, he may be that character at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, Thanos. Here he is again. He's in the friggin' right? movie. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I can I can see that. But, but he's not quite – He's, he's not quite Marvel's Doomsday, but I mean, you know, I'm just going to ignore that, right? Um, I really want to reread all the Thanos stuff because I have blank spots in 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 my mm-hmm. my my Thanos knowledge because I, I was going over the list and um, like Thanos Rising, I don't even remember that. Have Have any of you read Thanos Rising? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you did? Was was it not good? I barely remember it. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember it either. Well, that's not good, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to find my list on my on my on my machine here because I I you know me, I love lists. Oh, you're a listaholic. Especially when you get to put them in Excel. That's where I that's where I stop. <laughs> I ain't going to no damn Excel. But um, you know, it kills me because I have so many drives. I can't find it now. It just figures. It figures that I can't find it. But, I mean, you know, you have the Infinity stuff, but there's a whole lot of story removed from that. That happened in Avengers that you need mm-hmm. to read. And then Marvel 2 and 1. And it's, there's so much Thanos. I, I wish, like, why haven't they made a Thanos omnibus? Just strictly Thanos. Right. All the Infinity stuff, and you know, you don't have to put the tie-ins in there. Just, just have the Infinity Gauntlet, War and Crusade, and then put, you know, all the the, the Celestial Madonna, like all the stuff that directly 
relates to Thanos that people need to know, that would be at least, what, three omnibuses? I would think, yeah. Yeah. Gotta be. Because, I mean, it, it, Starlin's been doing this since, not only Starlin, but a lot of people have been doing this since the early, early 70s. So get them all together. It's The time is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Marvel doesn't, they don't need much incentive to put out an Omnibus these days. Well, they should. By the way, that's the part of uh, the episode last week that I am most bummed that we didn't carry over. Which one? Oh, the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Yeah, Deadly Hands of Kung yeah. Fu. Yeah. I, I found my list. Like, Thanos Rising, Thanos Quest, uh, Infinity Abyss. What? Did anyone read Infinity Abyss? What? I got the issues. I, I don't know that I ever read it, though. And then there was a Thanos, 12-issue Thanos series that I maybe remember some of it from. Um, but, I mean, there's so much to read. I, I would, I would, don't even want to guess how many thousands of pages the, the, the entire Thanos saga would be. Why don't you talk about Deadly Hands of Kung Fu? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the moment you know, it's, it's like, no, it's like, uh, it's like when you go on vacation and the first three people say, like, how's vacation? You're all excited. You tell them all about it. Yeah. And then, like, the seventh person says, vacation, like, it was fine. Yeah, all right. I get you. No, I mean, well, right. The bottom line is, was very excited, and I thought you would be very excited because... And I was. ...of your affinity for the Marvel magazines, and uh, we did a little quiz where we all tried to see if you guys could guess all the Marvel mags. You pretty much did. Uh, but but Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Omnibu, collects the first 18 issues, plus the, uh, plus the special... Um, as always, phenomenal production value, and uh, you know the cool thing about it, as we were reminiscing, is that it's a magazine, so it had you know op eds, and it had lots of prose articles, and it had really cool advertisements, and it had like awesome reviews of crazy kung fu video move, like video cassettes, and uh, not video cassettes, but like movies and and paperback books, and um, it just was a say really that, what's that? I was gonna say that's a little before video cassettes. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. But it, like, a, it was just a lot of fun. Like, it was a big walk down memory lane, and just was was a reminder that it, that the like the kung fu genre was such a huge pop culture thing, far beyond comic books at the time. And really, the comic books were exploiting that more than more than leading that charge. Um, and uh, we we were it's a uh, Fu, Fu Manchu is uh, they must have gotten the rights back because we were remarking that Fu Manchu. Is they actually use his name in, in book, which they couldn't do for a long time for rights issues. Um, we were joking that Sons of the Tiger, where the hell happened to them? Because <laughs> they were prominently featured in, in Deadly Hands and haven't really been seen much since. Um, obviously, Shang Chi a big factor, but uh, but no, it's a great but it's a great omnibus. I mean, Marvel's crushing the kung fu stuff now, likely because of what's going on with Netflix and Iron Fist coming out. But um, you've got three Shang Chi omnibus solicited. Uh, the first one's out, but the other two, the third one was just solicited. Second one's coming out, I think, next month. Uh, and then you've got this Deadly Hand. So, um, I hope Marvel does this omnibus treatment for more of the Marvel magazines from then because they're all worth having. And I don't have any of them. I didn't, I didn't buy the magazines back in the day. So, um, yeah, big, big, big fan of it. I definitely recommend it if anybody's nostalgic for that classic Bronze Age. I mean, it's one of the better collections and it's, I mean, any omnibus would give you hours upon hours of reading, but since it's a magazine, I mean, you could spend fucking weeks reading this thing if you really wanted to. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think the ship has sailed on uh, any chances of getting a Planet of the Apes omnibus from Marvel. Because of rights issues and stuff? Yeah. Do you know the whole thing? There was a, I think it was Boom. Or, yeah, Boom was scheduled to, to Boom had the regular Planet of the Apes series, what, a couple mm-hmm. years, a couple years ago. Um, Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becko were doing it, and then other people came in. And, um, they said, they, they solicited Planet of, Marvel's Planet of the Apes, the Plug stuff, Terror on the Planet of the Apes, they were gonna reprint that. And I think they solicited at least three, possibly four issues, and not a single one was produced. So they either jumped the gun and, and, and thought they had the rights or were in negotiations for the rights and, and ultimately didn't get it. Marvel has mm. never reprinted that stuff. Right. The, the only place you can get those is in the original single issues. And it's a shame because it is, it is by far Mike Plug's all-time best work. Hands down. Wow. Yeah, hands down. That's saying something. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, you see, when he does a Kickstarter and he puts one of those Planet of the Apes pages as an incentive, it goes, like, immediately. Yeah. It's great stuff. Um, you know, do you pull out the old issues or do you, do you just wait <laughs> for the Omnibus that's, that possibly will never come? I don't know. Um, I would invest in those old issues because they're great. Mm-hmm. Best-looking Marvel magazine, no question. And that's that's saying a lot. I was going to say that's that's bold, just, bold proclamation. Just the Plug stuff alone. I mean, it got a little weird. George Tuska did some adaptations of the movies, and yeah, I mean, they were okay. But solely on the on the the magnificence of the Mike Plug stuff, I'm I'm being uh, hyperbolic because when you stack it up against all the other magazines, Gray Morrow, and yeah. you know, come on, does it really? Outshine that? Probably mm-hmm. not. You know, no. But it's it's my favorite Marvel magazine. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to put this Deadly Hands of Kung Fu on my Amazon wish list. Nice. Yeah, just for the hell of it. Because you never know, right? Well, maybe you'll get that before New Frontier. Yeah, what do we... Uh, I still don't what's, have it. <laughs> what's we going to do about... Uh, how that was, I was, I was going to ask that. I mean, I don't, I don't think everybody needs to hear that just yet because it's going to be like, wow. But it's we need to contemplate that. Yes. Uh, also, um, as we near the end of November, uh, I mentioned this last week, but again, it got lost. Putting the finishing touches on our eleven O'Closkers, um website to for people to vote for their best of. I know people like to have it up. For at least for a little while, so they can jot down ideas and come back to it and stuff. So um, hopefully, I can do that over this weekend, this long weekend. So get to thinking about your favorite books. Quickly coming onto your end, which is crazy. It is. Damn. Yep. My spreadsheet I've been keeping all year is going to come in hella handy. <laughs> Thank goodness for Excel. Loves it. Loves the cell. No, no. Oh, yes. There's a reason why they call that thing they throw prisoners into a cell. It's the same thing. No. Come on. Come on dog. The uh, Shang-Chi omnibuy are different prices. Why is that? I assume different page counts. I don't know. The, the um, Volume 1 is $125. Mm-hmm. Retail. 
Volume 2 is $125, but the discounts are different. The first one's going for 80 some. The second one's going for 116. 7% discount on the second, but a... Well, that's just a print run thing. 35, I, I thought you were talking about the actual retail price. No, 35% discount on the first. Well, it's probably just inventory management. Yeah. It's weird. And then well, the volume is- 3 goes back down to 86, so it's 31% off. Mm-hmm. They're all the same list price. Okay. Yeah. This is why I'm not a manager. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Boom. Okay. What are we doing? Yes, everybody. If you would like to get any of the things we talked about, except Planet of the Apes, um, all you got to do is go to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. They got them all. If they don't have it there, they have it in InStockTrades.com, and you will get a discount as well. There is nobody out there that sells comic books or trade paperbacks cheaper than DCBService.com. For example, from DC, it's the Commandy Challenge number one. will cost you $2.49. Bean World, hardcover volume four mm-hmm. from Dark Horse, $10.19. And Curse Words, Ryan Brownie and company from Image, $1.99. I don't have an In Your Travels. Balls. Whoa. I don't. Bananas. Uh, Okay. In Your Travels. Um, I'm only a quarter of the way through the final trade paperback of Justice League 3001. And it is awesome as well. As as everything that came before it, it's fantastic. I love the the writing team of Giffen and DeMatteis. Um, You got Mm -hmm. Scott Collins on art here. There's a Chris Batista issue that is okay. I've I've seen Batista look much better. So, I mean, that's really not a selling point, but it's only one issue so far. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Um, and this is the big wrap-up. If, if you like this series, I sincerely think that the Justice League 3000-3001 is one of the best series that has come out of DC in a long, 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 long time. If you are if, if you are a fan of the blah blah ha 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 era, as as most people are, you'll really dig this book. Is that right? Yes, you will. You will really like it. I know you will like it. Getting you to read it is the difficult part. Mm-hmm. It's well. This is goes without saying. The uh, the writing team can get a little wordy. <gasps> The hell you say? Yeah, yeah, but I—that's a—that's a plus for me. But um, you got the Guy Gardner and Ice relationship is in here. Blue and Gold is in here. Um, the original Justice League Reborn, um, and most of them die and are replaced by. And in this uh, trade, it's mostly women. You got Wonder Woman. Um, reborn. Wonder Woman. Uh, the Flash, which is Barry Allen in the body of a woman. Um, and their, their, their consciousnesses have mingled. You have fire and ice and, and some, uh, you have Batgirl, which is a direct descendant of Bruce Wayne in the year 3001. She's super smart. She makes a bat suit. It's, it's a great book. There's mm-hmm. no holds barred. And the character shows up that I really love, though I know both of you don't like very much. What is this? He is a lantern. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. 
But I love it. Uh, Justice League 3001, Volume 2. It's it. It's no more. Dose. Uh, there's going to be a Border Worlds, Worlds collection. I know, right? I can't Who ever thought we'd see a Border Worlds collection? Yeah, that's getting that was a gr- shit out. That was a great book, right? Yes. Um, in your travels, lost book from last week. This is uh the fourth final entrant into DC's Young Animal. And probably my favorite now that it's, now that we have all four of them, probably followed by Cave Carson. This is Mother Panic number one by Jody Hauser and Tom Lee Edwards and beautifully lettered by Mr. John Workman. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about the main character other than that she is a celebutant. Um, that's not, the cool nifty thing, basically just the, the ideas and the concepts that happen in this book. Um, there's, it, it's, it's very much a show don't tell type of issue. And, and you have, um, this page comes back to Gotham and that's where, we're, we're just dropped right in to that she the plane lands she gets off the plane and we're um we're thrown to a little bit of a flashback with uh Paige and her father and they're getting ready to go out on a um on a camping slash hunting trip um in the present day there's a very um there's a gentleman who has bodyguards and he decides to show one of his bodyguards who I do believe there is somewhat of a um, relationship more so than your typical client bodyguard relationship Um, so he wants to show his bodyguard something a a piece that he had commissioned and um, the the bodyguard is a little, he's left speechless, left, left taken aback. And, um, everybody thinks, or, or, or Dominic, the bodyguard thinks everything is fine and, and nothing to worry about. Unfortunately, at this little gala event that's going on, this little shindig, um, the client is going to have some other bodyguards take Dominic out because, um, he miscalculated. Dominic wasn't able to handle what he had seen. And we really don't know. I mean, you can leave it up to your imagination, but we don't see what everybody else has seen. Um, and that's when Mother Panic shows up to save Dominic. Dominic is under the impression that, uh, she's one of those bad people because of the ears. You know, you're, you're, you're along with the bat. Uh, after she, she saves Dominic, she knocks him out and says, uh, Fuck the bat and slumps him over her shoulders. She goes away and Batman enters the, the scene only to kind of look over Mother Panic's handiwork, sees everybody knocked out. Um, and, and, and mom is a little nuts. I'm deliberately jumping all over the place with the, I'm, I'm not trying to make a straight line because it, it, I did have a straight line when I was reading it and, and which is absolutely fine. 
Tommy Lee's art is is beautiful. It, it looks fantastic, and I mean, whether it's 1985 or Bullet Point, everything that that Tommy has done, I've enjoyed. So um, this is definitely more of that. Where we meet the artist who was uh, commissioned for um, for that 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 piece of art that uh, it's just it is. It is a weird. No, it's not as weird as 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 Doom Patrol or as Shade. It's not as weird as the other Young Animal books, but it's it's um, and it it's the Young Animal series. Obviously, we got the hint of that with Cape Carson, with the Justice League mentioned. But no, I mean, if if Batman is showing up in your comic book, then obviously you are um part of the the DC universe proper but you get a special little treat at the end of this just like superpowers at the back of uh Cave Carson you have Gotham Radio as a backup in this and it's written by Jim Kruger uh pencils by Phil Hester inks by Andy Parks and it is uh it's a short little three-page story with uh 12 panels on a page, actually even more than that on the last one, there's 16 there, but, uh, no, actually you increase, you got, you go from 9 to 12 to, uh, to 16 panels all within these three pages as, as a, uh, an audience is listening to the, to the, to, to Gotham Radio. Um, but when you get to the last two panels or four panels actually, um the DJ is murdered in the studio and the whole audience hears this, but the person who did the shooting just says one word and then you get the bat signal in the sky and to be continued. So this seems to be, based on that one word, a throwback to a um longish limited series from from back in the day, not that far back in the day, but, but a while ago, um, which some might think it's a pretty decent story in the Batman universe. And some people might think it may have gone on a little too long or just not even worth the effort. Your mileage may vary, but yeah, I thought, um, mother panic was, was a pretty solid package. So in your travels, <laughs> check that, check, uh, check that book. out. <clears throat> oh, it was a good issue. Mm-hmm. Twas. She's not um, gonna get away with that F the bat for very long. <laughs> uh in your travels, I want to remind folks of an awesome indie comic that we sung the praises of for some time, but uh, haven't talked about in a while, and uh, shame on us. Um uh, also a friend of the show and a listener of the show, uh Brooklyn's own, by way of Cuba, uh Michelle FIFA. Fife, his Copra book. Um, you know, Copra is a true indie comic. He does everything for it. It's produced by his friends at Bergen Street Press. Um, it's very hard to find. You can go to his website, michellefife.com or bergenstreetpress.com. Um, some LCSs that specialize in uh, indie comics carry his works, but not many do. Um, there was one collected edition solicited by previews, but the vast majority of it is not available that way. Um, but it's worth seeking out. Um, 
the cool thing about it is it's a homemade creator owned book, but it's a superhero book. Um, Copra is essentially a homage to the Suicide Squad. Yep. It's, uh, it's his, it's his rendition of that. And we talked about it at great length probably two years ago, maybe when it was kind of a thing when it was first breaking. Um, and, and I read the first 12 issues then, which is kind of like the first arc. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say, um, but things go tits up for the team. <laughs> and then like for like the next year, it's each of them is in their own kind of place having to deal with their new reality. And, uh, it's, it's just a fascinating change of pace and juxtaposition from what the first 12 issues were. And I think we're up to issue number 27 now. Um, now I've only read up to 21, so I'm, I'm still behind. I don't have those other issues. I don't have the, the last six, but, um, but I plan on getting them soon. Hopefully we'll see him at a con soon and I can remedy that. But, uh, but either way, it's a, what's he, that? He does have an Etsy store. You can, yeah, and, and with the Etsy store, you can actually subscribe so you get all of the issues for 2017. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Y'all be knowing shit. Yeah. Um, we try. Yeah. But I, I, I guess, and I speak for you both. I think it's a phenomenal comic, and uh, yeah, you know, right. it's 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 wild and crazy. It's a it look. It's a it's a very independent style, um, and your mileage may vary. I mean, there are some indie comics I, I don't vibe on because of the the art. Um, I think of the three of us, Vince is the most tolerant of alternative looking comics. Um, but I think David and I are reasonably open-minded, but I think this comic is great. I think Michelle's, uh, style was, is wonderful, especially for this. And it's psychedelic and it's trippy and it's geometric and it's, uh, I mean, he has a ton of fun with panel layouts and borders and the page progression. And I just, I don't know. I think the comic is, is everything a comic should be because it's just unbridled creativity on his yeah, part. It's unhinged. Yep. Yeah. It, but it's not unhinged in a way that like, you don't read it and you're like, what the fuck? Like, it's got a narrative. Right. right. It's got a, it's got a genuine narrative. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard to follow. It's, it's visually arresting and crazy, but it's not at all hard to follow. Like, no. it's, there is a beginning, middle and end. You know, there, there's a, these are, he's, he, he grounds the book in you, in you getting to know these characters and their relationships and their interactions with one another. And there's a plot. And so that's like, that's why I say it like stands above. You know, some other works where I may enjoy the work, but sometimes I'm like, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite, you know, exactly, you know, there wasn't much of a, of a, of a story behind it. It was more of an experience. This isn't just an experience. I mean, this is a genuinely entertaining story. Yeah. And, uh, Unh- so, yeah, I can't, unhinged, can't recommend it enough. Right. Unhinged in the sense that you can't pin it down. Just when you think sure, you, sure. you, you know, you, you have a beat on what's going on, he mm-hmm. pulls the rug out from under you. Right. Yeah. And I love his friggin' line. Oh my god, I love mm-hmm. his it's, line. It's beautiful. Yeah. There it is. There's a lot of Miller in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and can it, I just say that uh, I'm looking at the Instagram page for Ryan Ashley Malarkey right now, and she is an unbelievably exceptionally beautiful woman. She is. <laughs> she is. It's ridiculous. I, man. Yeah. It's got a chode for a boyfriend, but because <laughs> yeah. it's not you. Yeah, it won't last oh, long. Oh, please. I'm a happily married man, but... Oh, there you go. She could be her all pair, though. There you go. Yeah, she takes a lot of selfies. If you look like that, you take a lot of selfies, too. I would I would definitely. I would have mirrors all in the house. Look at me. Whew. 
30 minutes away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You think she's going to win it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's better. I mean, if she doesn't win it, she's still the breakout star of it. Sure. Mission accomplished. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody. It was so good to have all of us back with you again this week. Let's hope this trend continues, right? And um, if you enjoyed any of this, please leave us an iTunes review or a review somewhere. And uh, as we always like to say, say goodnight. David. Wow, there was a nice little cutoff there. Was there? Yeah, Good night. David, that was a, you didn't you didn't get the D there. Oh, I it's like good. that. So good. We tried to do it. Well, that's what we're about. All right, everybody. Thank you. We love you so much, and we will be back. Yep. Go see Fantastic Beasts. Sir. Oh yeah. Yeah, enjoyed it. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, enjoyed it. Ah, cool. A visual sight to behold. Nice. I still want to see Arrival. Uh, yeah, I might go see that this weekend. Yeah, I kind of too. I heard it's it's the uh, the tonic for the times. Um, it, it'll make you feel good. So that's all. Mm-hmm. And it's good for me. Say bye. So at first Ooh. when I saw the trailer, I thought it was like a remake of of Contact, the the Jodie Foster movie. <laughs> but actually, what really cracked me up is before we saw the um, when we went to go see Doctor Strange, there was a trailer for a movie that I swear to God I thought it was going to be a remake of The Breakfast Club, and yes. as it continues, yes. it's yep. the fucking Power Rangers, and I was like. Holy yes, shit. dude, you're so, dude, you are exactly right. The beginning of that preview, I'm like, oh, they're remaking Breakfast Club. Weird. I'm like, I don't know if I like this. It seems a little too gravitas for me. And you're right. It's fucking Power Rangers. It's so crazy. Uh, yep. Well, that pretty much ensures I'm not going to see the Power Rangers movie. No, I'll tell you what. I've never been a fan of the Power Rangers. And, and by the end of that, that trailer, I'm like, oh, I'm fucking there, dude. Okay, well, I'm there. I tell you what, I've never been a fan of the <laughs> Breakfast Club. So no, but the, well, no, but that's the thing. It doesn't. Yeah, it's it's not the Breakfast Club. It was, it's it was a poorly crazy. cut trailer for, in that regard because like, it quickly veer, and you're like, oh wait, wait, oh oh oh, this is you know, no, it looks it looks good, man. It, really, Power Rangers not look corny. Yeah, that's exactly, and they've always been very corny. So yep. that this is true. I like corny. And the pink ranger will catch she'll catch one. <laughs> careful, be real careful. Bye. <laughs> <Latest>. <laughs>